Well, good morning, first family. Let me set this back to normal hype. Man, it's good to be back with you. I missed being with you last Sunday. Last Sunday morning, we actually didn't go to church at all because the service in the church we were going to was Sunday night. Can I tell you that I just wandered around lost? And I was like, what am I supposed to do with myself? A pastor on Sunday morning that isn't in church. I was really excited to come, and I still am, but you know, the events of the last 24 hours have sort of dulled some of that for me. So before we do anything else, I want us to take time to pray. What you're seeing play out in Israel is not uncommon. It is something that we've seen before, and probably, unless the Lord returns, we will see again. And yet, we acknowledge this is no small matter. Now, we're not here to talk about the politics of it. We'll let somebody smarter than me figure that part out. We're not here to blame someone or declare this party or that party at fault. But we are here to say that what happened yesterday with our friends in Israel is wrong. Hamas is an evil organization. They are dedicated and committed to the destruction of the people of God in Israel. And we need to pray today, brothers and sisters, for their protection, for an end to these hostilities, and for the collapse of the hostilities that are going on. I know that many of you have been concerned because many of you have reached out to me. In the last 24 hours, I've heard from a lot of you. Darren, what does this mean? Is this the biblical end? Is this the beginning of the revelation that we spent a year talking about? I don't know that, but I do know that the God who authored Revelation stands supremely in charge right now and invites us to come to his throne boldly and ask for his intervention. So if you are interested in doing so, I invite you to this altar. Deacons, I want to invite you to come first. If we've ever needed leadership, it's now. People who think they know are speaking up, but we actually do. So I want to invite you, if you're so inclined, come down here and join me at this altar and let's take a moment and pray for what God has in mind right here and right now. Today, Lord Jesus, we come with heavy hearts, hearts that are burdened and broken because of what we've seen in Israel. This is evil run amok, Lord. There's no other way to describe it. We know, Lord Jesus, it is no surprise to you. You knew this was coming, but we sure didn't, and it has unsettled us, Lord, greatly. Our hearts are wounded for The lives ended too soon. The lives upended for the turmoil this has created, not just in the Middle East, but around the world. So we pray, God, in accordance with Psalm 122 for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, Lord, for an end to hostility. And we recognize, Lord, this is a spiritual battle first. It's not about bullets and guns and bombs. It is about you, your people. So we submit to you today, Lord Jesus. We give them to you all over again. They've always been yours, and yet, Lord, we commit to them, to them to you again. We pray, God, for your peace in that place, and we ask, God, that you would show your power in bringing that about. 
We pray that those who are doing this evil and this wickedness would fall. And Lord Jesus, that you and your glory would bring peace to that land once again. We know, Lord, there's probably going to be some dark days ahead. We also know, Lord, that you, you have it all mapped out. So in our troubled spirits, in our brokenness, let us lean to you. For those that are in the midst of the conflict and that wish they weren't, I pray, God, for peace for them and that you would show them you're there too. I ask, God, your mercy, for we are in a difficult time. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you and we choose to do that very thing today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends. I want to invite you to write down to pray for them each and every day until this moment in time has passed. Pray for God's direction. And as I prayed a moment ago, Psalm 122, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord for us. I thought about the talk that I planned for today and how timely it seems for where we are. We are in the middle of our series about the God who has names. And this one seems ever more appropriate. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. My friend Corey read so well a moment ago from Joshua chapter 1, where God declares, <coughs> where you are is where I am. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Here is good news. I want to invite you also to turn to the very last verse of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 48, verse 35. <coughs> these passages come together. And these passages come together because here, at the very end of Ezekiel's prophecy, the word of the Lord comes to say something that we need to hear. In Ezekiel's prophecy, he offers a harsh word, a word that is difficult for those who are hearing it, a word that says that the people of God are faced with some difficult days ahead. Judgment is coming. And yet in chapter 38 of that book, word of the Lord speaks to dry bones that shall live again. And the very last words, <coughs> the very last verse, Say this, the Lord is there. Now, wait a minute, Ezekiel. Do you mean to tell me that in this moment, when everything looks dark and hope is still yet a long way off, the Lord is there with us? You bet he is. <coughs> Forgive me, friends. I've not coughed once this week. You pray that the Spirit of God will strengthen me in this moment, won't you? Because I believe what God wants to say is for you. I know it is for me. For our friend Ezekiel, God speaks his thereness. Now, I know this is bad grammar. I know it's lousy English. Thank you. A help meet indeed. I married well, ladies and gentlemen. Don't you think so? God's thereness to Ezekiel. 
God's judgment is just as real as it ever has been. God's judgment is something that we will encounter. God will indeed bring judgment to pass. But friends, I want to give you a word of hope that Ezekiel knew and that we can too. It is not too late for us. Why? Because God is there. Where is there? Well, let me ask you, friends, where are you? <clears throat> I don't mean the building. I mean spiritually. Where are you? I don't necessarily even mean spiritually in the sense of are you saved or not, although that's significant too. But where are you? What place, what station, what season of life are you in? It is there that God is with you. I know this is a hard word when you're in the midst of a dark season, but I want you to see this for what it is. It is God's declaration that he's in the fire with you wherever that might be. Where are you? God is there. The God who is there is with you where you are. Would you just write that down somewhere? Would you just jot that down in your notes? Wherever you are, the God who is there is there with you. This is the promise of the name that gives us hope when it says the Lord is there. But what does that mean, specifically for our friend Ezekiel? What does it mean? I'm going to give you a couple of things that it means. One, it means purity and holiness matter. <laughs> I, I laugh only because this is mocked so frequently now. Purity and holiness are a laughingstock. They're a joke. People set it aside and they ridicule it and they say it's not that important anymore. Purity is only for those who are, or who are too, uh, don't have enough creativity to come up with other ways to sin. I want to encourage you to recognize what the Israelites did to get in the bind in the first place and invite judgment on them was to mock purity and holiness. You will never find somebody that has protected their holiness that regretted it later. But you'll find a lot of people that threw their holiness aside, giving it to other things, and regretted it. His holiness will matter. And our purity will too. We are wiser for recognizing that. When we recognize that purity and holiness matter, then we realize that when we don't feel like God is there, it is not he that is moved. It is us. Our sinfulness has caused us to be drawn back, to separate ourselves from God and be put off from God because we have separated ourselves, not because he's gone anywhere. Here's another thing that it means, <coughs> that worship matters. <coughs> worship is a powerful force, and we will worship something. Oh, definitely, we will worship something. But what will we worship? When we declare ourselves in line with God, and we declare our worship for him, as we've done this morning then we recognize that we can focus on the right things. Worship matters because it is where we connect with the living God. 
The mistake many make is believing that worship is reserved for Sunday. And oh, by the way, worship is reserved for Sunday morning. If I can get it there, then that should cover me for the whole week. Well, I want you to imagine treating your meal service that way. If you decided to eat just on Sunday mornings, or even between Sunday at 8 and 12, I dare say you'd probably be hungry by the time the next Sunday came together. Now, maybe you ate some of the things that I did over the last 10 days. Let me just say Lebanese food is not American food. Can I just say that much right now? I've had enough hummus to last me a good long while. Enough chickpeas. They can keep their chickpeas and I'll take my refried ones. Anybody with me on that? But what I recognize is that when I point myself and focus myself in the right direction, then I'll be motivated in that direction properly. Worship matters. When I look up, it's no longer about what I want or my preferences. It's about what he wants, what he calls me to. And that calls me to clarity, to narrow things like this one. Establish yourself on one truth. God's righteous rule shall stand forever. Such stability helps us find our footing. The shifting sands around us are constantly changing. It's tough to keep up (coughs) with some of the things that are going on around us because they change so rapidly. We better have something we can anchor ourselves to. We better have something we can hang on to and say, this is what it means and this is what I'm going to hold on to. If that is something, let's make sure that that one thing that we know that we hold on to is eternal in nature. And this much we can say with assuredness, God's righteous rule shall stand forever. We can know that. Anchor yourself there and do so without fear. You don't have to wonder, what will it look like if God falls? What will it look like if God abandons me? Well, God won't fall, because if he does, he's not God. And if God does abandon you, then he's broken his promise to never leave you nor abandon you, and he isn't God at all anyway. So let's make sure we set our feet rightly. So what does this mean for Israel? Now, when I wrote this much earlier in the week, I didn't know how apropos this this would be. God's presence in the, in the nation of Israel was foreordained. For whatever reason, God chose that little piece of land. That piece of property is his and will be throughout eternity, apparently, or at least until he chooses to remake things. No other nation has been blessed by God the way the people of Israel have. You might say, well, Darren, what about the Holocaust and some of those things? Understand this, the whole purpose of the Holocaust was to exterminate them, and they didn't succeed. So could it be that God preserved them? Now, if we go through the whole book of Ezekiel, here's what we'll find. Ezekiel saw the glory depart from Jerusalem. We recognize that. And yet, go with me to John chapter 12, and you'll find a Nazarene peasant 
riding a colt, Jesus, on the day of the triumphal entry, bringing God's glory back. When Jesus was raised back to life, can I tell you today, my friends, hope rose with him. Our hope, not just for the nation of Israel, but for us as well. And that brings me back to the passage <coughs> that Corey read for us a moment ago. Joshua chapter 1. This introduction into the promised land was something that they struggled with because they knew that God's presence had been with them in the area we call the Transjordan, opposite the nation of Israel, in the kingdom of Jordan as it is now. They knew the presence of God was there, the thereness of God. But would he be with them as they made their way across? Would he be with them as they walked across the Jordan River into this promised land that he had carried them through for 40 years? Would he be with them? I want to declare to you today, God's thereness to the people of God in Joshua 1 is still God's thereness to the people of God in Midland, Texas, and yes, the 21st century. This word that is declared in Joshua chapter 1 was indeed for Joshua and the people of God, but it is also for us. Have I not commanded you, verse 9 says, be strong and courageous, don't be frightened and don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Go all the way down to Hebrews chapter 13, and you'll find echoes of this section right here, as if God is putting his stamp on it all over again. This thereness, then, allows us to lean on God in ways that we can't lean on ourselves. Because God was there, they had a rock to cling to when things got difficult. Because God was there, they knew that victory was possible. Because God was there, he could underscore his true identity in the tabernacle. Because God was there, they would see a kingdom established in that land against all odds. <coughs> because God was there, they could lean on God's power and authority to carry them through even when they were unsure about what the future would mean. What then does God's thereness mean for the people of God? It means a couple of things. One, we're never alone. Oh, man. I don't know about you, but this is the best news I've heard today. It means that when I feel the loneliest, when I feel the most deserted, when I feel left alone and singled out, my God is there with me. When I feel like I have no friend left in the world, not even my dog, because a cat's not going to be there anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody's with me. And I'm still not alone. My God is there with me. Here's the second part, and it's just as good as the first. The sovereign God can be trusted to reign over us. We have a system of government that is filled with people. Now, 
I, I don't want this to sound political because you could put this in, in any area, era over the last 5,000 years and it would be just as true. People are broken and they're going to do broken things. Don't be surprised when they let you down. No, I'm not talking about any particular office, but I am talking about all of them because all of them are just as fallible as I am. There needs to be a leader that I can trust, and there is, the sovereign God. I can trust him to reign over me. And because I can trust him, I can find strength and confidence because our God is there. Where is there? Where I am. Wherever that might be, that's where he is in it with me. And you know, we were at the Mediterranean a couple of times while we were gone over the last 10 days or so. And you know, one meal we, we had right on the shores of the Mediterranean, it was really beautiful. We watched the sun go down over the, over the water and it was a reminder of just how beautiful God's creation in that context is. But you know, I'll pause the story for a moment. I came home, I've never been more glad to see pump jacks in my life. Let me just tell you right now, friends, it meant I was home. What I noticed, though, was that as the waves came and went, we could see them way off in the distance. We were in a cove, so it wasn't really right up there with us. As the waves came and went, not all of them were exactly the same. There were some that were riptides. You know what a riptide looks like? Maybe you don't. Maybe you've never been to the ocean, or maybe you've never paid attention to it. Riptides are different. They come in with a heavier undertow, and they sort of split out when they go back into the water. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. And for those of us that are unaccustomed, you might say, to what they look like, they will catch us. They'll catch us unaware, and they can be deadly. That means that there better be somebody watching. Oh, friends, the lifeguard watches the sea all the time. He knows its behavior. We might not know it, but he does. She does. When a riptide comes, they know what to do. They know how to handle it, and they know how to navigate it. That's why they're watching, to warn you, to point it out and say, this is dangerous, be on guard. Well, I want to give you good news. The lifeguard watching over you is the Lord of the seas themselves. Riptides don't scare him. He doesn't fear them, and you shouldn't either. That doesn't mean you won't get caught in them sometimes. It doesn't mean they won't drag you out. It doesn't mean they won't force you under. But it does mean that he, the lifeguard, the rescue of our souls, stands ready to pluck us out of the waters because he is there with us. Our God is there. Now let us conclude with this. The fullest expression for us, the fullest expression of God's thereness is Christ's arrival and the Holy Spirit's indwelling power. Living in God's thereness today is where Jesus has delivered us to. Evidence to that? Oh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Would you just jot this down and read it later? <clears throat> Here's what the Bible says. 
when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. What Jesus did was make there, wherever there is, exactly where he is. So our thereness is where he came to. We could not get up to him, so he came down to us. Christ makes there where he is. This means that we can afford to have hope. It was Christ who came to us, not us who pulled him down. He came for our sake. And the thereness of God appeared when Jesus came to bring redemption to humanity. In coming down, he brought the thereness of God to a personal level and then took it one step further. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended to heaven. We might say, well, he took the presence of God, the thereness of God with him. But, oh, beloved, in Acts chapter 2, he sent the powerful Holy Spirit. And in dwelling authority, the fullest expression of God's thereness now lives within each believer. Well, what does this mean then for us today? For those of us who are walking with Christ today, one, it means an assurance to believers today. An assurance. Emmanuel, the name that God called Jesus, means God with us. He's right in the middle of it with us. We need not live in fear. Here's the second thing it means. It means we build our lives on the one who never fails. I can rest in the hope and the promise that that brings. Now, we would be wrong to say, to not say, rather, what God's thereness means for those who are lost. I don't think this has ever been a more important topic than it is right now. There's going to be a lot of us that will go to work and school this week that people will say, hey, you go to church. What does all this in Israel mean? It's a warning to the lost. It's a warning. I believe that with every ounce of my being. What you are seeing is a warning. Get your house in order. Make sure that you recognize hell is the absence of the presence of God. What makes hell so awful is not that it's hot. What makes hell so awful is not that it's dark or that it's the weeping or the wailing or the gnashing of teeth. No, what makes hell so awful is that God is not there. The thereness of God is absent in hell. Now, hell is not something you hear a lot about much anymore, even from me, because we would rather talk about heaven. Heaven is a place of fellowship, a place where we connect with God and with everybody else, but hell is a place of loneliness. This is the essence of the warning. The unbeliever does not have the presence of God in him. God, who is there, is not within them. I understand what some will say, well, all of us are children of God. 
indeed we were created that way. We bear the image of God simply by our very existence. And yet, let us be clear, my brothers and sisters, let us be clear. The presence, the thereness of God comes when we invite Jesus into our lives. It's available. Maybe you today would say, well, I need that thereness now for me, right here now. Well, that's why we came, isn't it? To give you that very opportunity. Here's your opportunity. In just a second, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing. And I want you to feel freedom to come down here, just like we did a minute ago, to pray at this altar and say, Darren, I need the presence of God in my life. I've never invited Jesus into my life in a personal way. I know about God. I don't know God. Today is your day. My prayer is that you'll embrace it as such. And maybe you've done that and you've never been baptized. Today's a good day to get that ball started too. Hey, the water's already warm. We're going to be baptizing at 11. We can hook you up today. Or we can get the process started and talk with you about it. Come down and let's talk about that. Maybe you need a church home. We invite you to join us as we serve the Lord here together. Perhaps you want to come to this altar. Something is bothering you, either in your own life or in somebody else's, and you want to pray for them. This altar is open for you. Today is your opportunity to embrace the thereness of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful that you are there and that because you are there, we can be confident. We need not be fearful. We can be certain that you have purchased our freedom because of who you are and that your thereness is there because you came to make it so. Today, we embrace that thereness, Lord in our loneliness, in our brokenness, in our hopelessness. I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for the joy that is ours because of who you are. And yet we know, Lord, we live in a culture, a time, a world that chooses to push you back. And even though you're there, they choose to ignore that. Maybe that's even some of us, Lord, sitting here listening now. I pray you'd break through that and that you'd use whatever means, whatever tools are, are available to you, which is everything, to accomplish that. To awaken our hearts to your thereness and that you would help us, Lord, to take you because you are there with us wherever we go and share that hope with those who don't know it. They're right outside these doors, Lord. We need not go far. Send us out to them, Lord. I pray, Lord, for each person that needs to make a decision today. Do your work in our lives. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.